You are listening to The 13th Hour, your source for all things Pathfinder. I'm your host, Miss 13th Hour herself, Fallon, here with tabletop gaming developer and self-professed Pathfinder guru, Eli. So Eli, we're discussing combat this time. We're getting into it. We're probably just going to keep it as a rough overview today because combat can get pretty uh, complex and intense. Not something to be scared about. It's kind of something you just need to, to learn cumulatively. You need to learn the basics and then you need to learn another. So we're going to start at the beginning. Oh, yeah. And so we're going to start with melee attacks. So why don't you tell them a little bit how melee attack roles work? Okay. Melee is one of the three main types of attacks, um, melee ranged and then magical. So the way melee works is it's a physical attack, anything like a sword or a club or a dagger, anything you have to be within a certain range to hit them with. And that range is usually within about five feet. So how you would attack with a melee weapon is you would take a d20 and you roll that. And to your d20, you add your strength modifier. We've gone over abilities, so that would be your modifier Mm -hmm. from your strength. And then you add a number called your BAB. BAB stands for base attack bonus. And essentially what the BAB means is that it is how good you are at attacking, how quick you are at attacking. And because that number will get up, will go up as you level. So a higher level person will have a higher BAB than a lower level person. So you add those numbers together plus any kind of bonuses that might come from other areas, which can kind of vary. It might come from your weapon. It might come from special abilities anything extra. So all of those numbers get added together and that is what your melee attack roll looks like. Now, what that means as far as do you hit or not, we'll come to that in a minute. I kind of want to just touch on the three main kinds of attack before we figure out if our attack hits. Right. And similarly, the range attack is set up the same way. Roll a d20, but use your dex mod instead of a strength plus your base attack bonus. Yeah, it's a very similar idea. Now, range, the only real difference is that usually it's going to be about 30 plus feet away. Some ranged attacks can go up above 100 uh, 100 feet. Some can go ridiculous. There's some that go way out there. Then that's really just the main distinction usually as the distance. Now, I will throw in just as a side note, um, not to get too complex about it, but there are some melee attacks that would use your dexterity instead of your strength. And those are called finesse attacks. That's something specific, usually involving characters like bards and rogues. Yeah, we did touch on that a little bit a couple of episodes back. Yeah, so I mean, that's just the the general idea there. So those are your two main types of physical attacks. Technically, you may see things as unarmed or natural attacks. They are essentially the same thing as a melee attack. The only difference there is that an unarmed would obviously be without a weapon. And natural attacks would be if you happen to have something like claws, like an animal that attacking you would have natural attacks or some monsters. But there are also a few races that have natural attacks, races that have claws or, you know, bitey teeth or beaks. Mm-hmm. Some of our some of our crazier non-human races. Oh, yeah. Crazy cat. <laughs> yeah. So what's the difference between a for the people that are new to this? What's the difference between a magic attack and, say, a ranged attack? Well, obviously the main difference there is the magical aspect. Magic gets pretty complicated 
once you start digging into it with any kind of like any kind of like real fine tooth comb there are several different types of spells some spells are called touch attacks that is essentially almost as if you're making a melee attack only you're using a spell some of them are called ranged touch which is the same idea only it'd be a ranged attack a lot of spells are based on saves instead so it's not that you're rolling to attack it's that the person you're throwing the spell at has to make a save usually a reflex save sometimes a fortitude or a will save so magic kind of is kind of variable and the spell itself will tell you what precisely you need to do and after you it's successful regardless of what kind of attack there are apparently there are two kinds of damage yes damage is calculated in a couple of different ways however normal damage would be whatever the damage dice on your dice or your weapon is and that is something that when you're picking out your weapons it'll show you what the damage dice is and then you'll add in any additional mods that may have come from any special abilities or feats wherever you can pick up additional damage things from and then almost all weapons add strength modifiers to their damage now this is something that sometimes people miss you don't normally add your dexterity you almost always add your strength unless it's a ranged attack or i i i want to point this out there is a feat that allows you to replace your dexterity, uh, replace your, your strength with your dexterity. Uh, I can't remember if it's a uh, weapon finesse. Yeah, that would be one of those special cases, but almost okay. exclusively it's strength. So it is relatively easy to calculate. It's just keeping your ducks in a row so much as keeping track of what your modifiers are and what the damage dice in your actual weapon is. But it is fairly straightforward something that we can touch on very briefly here after I go over what a critical damage is is different types of damage because there's different types of physical damage and there's different types of magical damage and I just want to kind of run through them very quickly as an idea of what they are all right but sometimes when you're rolling an attack you'll get what's called a critical now when you're rolling an attack on your weapons information it'll tell you what your critical range is now what the critical range means is that when you're rolling your d20 you may hit a number on it that is special depending on the weapon we'll we'll say for instance a long sword and i'm just pulling this off the top of my head i could have the numbers wrong so bear with me Mm -hmm. let's say that the long sword's critical range is 18 to 20. That means that if you have on the D20, not including any of your modifiers, but on the D20, if it says 18, 19, or 20, you have rolled a critical. Now, what you do there is you now have to confirm the critical. So you have to roll all those dice again uh, that you would have rolled previously for the actual attack. It's the same roll. Mm -hmm. If you still make a successful attack, you don't have to roll 18, 19, or 20. You just have to make a successful attack. Then you have confirmed a critical hit. And what a critical hit is is obviously it's something that does more damage. So you would roll the damage dice for the weapon, and then you times that by whatever your critical rate is. Most weapons, a critical rate is two. Most ranged weapons, it's a three. Your weapon may vary. You'll have to look at the numbers, but general rule of thumb is it's two or three. So your damage on your weapon is multiplied, and then you add all of your modifiers that you would normally add to a a regular damage on top of that. That is not multiplied. So it does give you quite a bit more damage, though. Oh, yeah. It definitely does. I've been in instances where it's like, oh, crap. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, you can definitely do a, a lot more damage, and there are different feats and abilities you can look into that make your da- your critical damage higher or increase your rate of a critical hit, things like that. So. Oh yeah, I on my character that I do bring up, we both bring her up a lot. She's a rapier. Or I'm not even probably I'm probably not even saying it right, but her crit uh, critical chance is n- she has to roll either a 19 or a 20. Mm-hmm. And then it's times two. And it's one of those swords that actually is shocking that if you get a 19, it's still considered a crit. Yes. A lot of swords of that class, it's either 18, 19, 20, or 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, most ranged weapons, it's just a 20, just because it's harder to get a critical. But then the trade off there is that the critical rate or the critical percentage is higher. So usually a ranged weapon is a times three and not a times two. So, and in fact, we have some types of handguns, depending on the like technological level of your guns, do as high as times four critical. That's pretty nifty. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, Criticals can be hard to hit, but if you really want to build a character based around the idea of making critical hits the center of your fighting, there are a lot of special abilities that you can pick up and feats that you can pick up that really will help you do that. Which we will cover uh, feats at a later episode that will yeah, help you with the combat side. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I have guides I'm, that I'm working on getting up that will kind of run down common feats and basic archetypes. For instance, if you're looking for like good ranged attack feats, etc. So I want to run through types of damage fairly quickly. I don't want to linger too much, right. but as you're going through and doing damage, Generally, everything you do has a specific type of damage assigned to it. And this is important because certain creatures and people may have resistances to certain types of damage. So just as a kind of in general, for instance, physical damage comes from physical weapons. And they come in three different types, bludgeoning, piercing, Mm -hmm. and slashing. And that sounds fairly straightforward bludgeoning would come from something like a club it doesn't have a sharp edge it's not cutting you it's thwacking you piercing would be something like a knife or a dagger or an arrow that is going into you straight and it's probably going to stick and slashing is the opposite it's more moving across and it's just going to leave a cut so those are the general three types of physical damage and they don't normally distinguish too much between them when people are taking damage. The only time that really comes up is occasionally certain types of armor might be better against, like, might reduce damage from, like, bludgeoning or something like that. Elemental damage comes in next. Elemental damage, pretty easy to understand. They come in fire, cold, acid, and electricity. And I'm fairly easy. If I throw a fireball at you, it's doing fire damage. If I throw a lightning bullet at you, it's doing electric damage. And these are the things that are most common that people have resistances to. So the general idea of you don't want to throw a fireball at a fire elemental. <laughs> no, this, no, this it's idea like, there. You and, might want to throw some water. <laughs> I mean, you can certainly try or you can, you know, let me char- throw an ice ball at you. See what happens. But yeah, <laughs> which kind of leads into similar, not technically not technically elemental damage, but it normally goes hand in hand with it is force damage. And that generally comes from the idea of something probably magical hits you really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really the best way of describing it 
it is you got hit really hard with something magical. Force damage comes with electrical damage a lot. They're, they come in tandem, which doesn't really surprise. But a lot of things do have resistances to force damage, especially things that are much larger that, you know, don't take a, a hit as hard. And generally, the ones that are the worst versus force damage are anything that's like incorporeal, like a ghost, because they don't have a physical form. So you can't hit them that hard. <laughs> so oh, I hate when they go intangible. That's just a pain. That is something that kind of touch on special effects. That's something we're going to have to touch on because coming up against an incorporeal creature can stump a party because they have no idea what to do. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. Oh no, I was just going to say that that's when those skills really come into play, especially knowledge planes. Yes, knowledge planes and knowledge arcana. They'll give you a lot of insight if used correctly and if used before you start the fight. Those kind of knowledges can give you insight into the monsters you're about to fight. So if you have a good knowledge planes role, you can figure out that this crazy looking creature in front of you is actually an elemental and you just didn't realize it. So, oh no, I guess I shouldn't be throwing fireballs at it. It's, right. not, acti- it's not actively on fire. I didn't know it was a fire elemental, but it is. Or you might figure out that this you know, crazy thing that your DM like scrolled down a list and thought the name sounded cool not that I've ever done that, (laughs) is actually completely resistant to, like, takes no damage at all from fire and cold. So if you roll really well, you'll find that out and you'll stop throwing fireballs at it. (laughs) So that's where your knowledge comes in and helps you with your combat. It's like it all ties together. Oh, yeah. It's a good thing we covered that before this episode. (laughs) See? It all comes together. Next type of damage, you don't see this too often. It primarily comes in when you're dealing with like clerics, things like that, because it's positive and negative energy. Generally speaking, for most creatures, positive energy is good and negative energy is bad. Positive energy will heal them. Negative energy will hurt them. Unless you're a zombie. That's where I was going next. If you are undead, (laughs) the opposite is true. Negative energy will, depending on the type, it will either heal them or it won't have any effect. And positive energy will hurt them. There are also certain creatures that are very tied to alignments that can take damage one way or the other. But generally speaking, if you are alive, positive, good, negative, bad. But like I said, that only comes up really when you're dealing with very specific abilities like channeling. Oh, yeah. Let's see the next one. Now, this one is kind of hand in hand, but takes it a step further, is alignment damage. There are some specialized abilities and weapons that deal damage specifically based on the alignment of the target that you're hitting. So alignment is something we haven't really talked about yet, but it's probably something even a new person, a new player will have heard of. The Mm -hmm. idea of or chaotic or good or evil. So for instance, I'm fighting a chaotic character. If I have a weapon that does damage to lawful characters, it's not going to do anything to them. But if I have a weapon that damages chaotic characters, it will. So that comes kind of kind of a roll of the dice sometimes. No pun intended. Um, but uh, but- let me interrupt before you go on. Also, keep in mind of your uh, teammates' alignments <laughs> if you have an alignment weapon. <laughs> yes, that is an important, especially if you have alignment spells, because there's a lot of spells that will, will affect specific alignments. Be careful of your party's alignments, because you might be with somebody who has a chaotic alignment, and you're casting spells that damage chaotic people, they are not going to be terribly happy with you. No, 
they won't. <laughs> and I don't focus very strongly on alignment. We mostly talk about it in out of joking character. ways, out of character ways. I don't usually use it in combat a lot, but I know that there are a lot of DMs that do and take it very seriously. So if you're dealing, if you're leaning into that, it's important to have a have a broad perspective. Oh yeah. We mostly just use it as a to like decide, hey, your care well, like she said in joking way. It's like mine was kind of leaning between neutral good and I thought it was chaotic good because she did have that moment of doing something stupid. But <laughs> she's had her moments, but I still think she's neutral. Yeah, she is. She's more concerned about the welfare of others rather than acting like Anders from Des- not Destiny, D- Dragon Age 2. <laughs> yeah, let's, he's not, no. No, I don't know what, our- okay, to, to give them a little bit of idea about if you want to compare them to video games, how would you have said Anders is? Anders is definitely chaotic. You kind of have to toe the line between chaotic neutral and chaotic good with him because he knew and thought what he was doing was for the greater good, but he also knew that he was hurting a lot of people and that was fine with him. So I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't say evil because he was not relishing the pain he's causing others. Mm-mm. So I probably would say chaotic neutral because right. he was definitely willing to sacrifice a lot of people for his idea of the greater good. All right, and how would you say somebody who okay any any character from any game you've ever played and you played a lot more than I have, <laughs> uh, what would be a example of a lawful evil character? Oh, lawful evil! This is such a fascinating alignment. Probably, probably a good one would be Handsome Jack from Borderlands. I love he, Handsome Jack. He was hilarious. <laughs> I love him quite a lot too. And a lot of people might argue that he is chaotic, but I don't think so. I think that he adheres strongly enough to a specific set of laws and guidelines, even if they're completely surrounded like him, his own self, his own <laughs> himself. But I think that he's, I think that he's, just, he's probably lawful evil. I think he's a good one, a good candidate for that. Oh yeah. Um, I think another one would be probably a good one would be from. Bioshock Infinite would be Comstock, the main villain there. I think that he would probably fall under lawful evil as well. Just his entire his entire shtick. He was very rigid, very, very lawful. Everything was happening. I mean, he was making the laws, but that doesn't matter. It's still lawful. But he was definitely lawful evil. Okay, I'm going to only ask for one more example to give people idea about... Because you're explaining about why they're doing that. A true neutral character. Now, I'm not going to cop out and say a character that player original characters like you can say that about almost any character that you get to control like any of the main protagonists in dragon age so i think true neutral will come into a lot of games where you have a strong morality system because you get to make those decisions one way or the other Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see what's a good example you know what no he'd be chaotic i was going to say the king of all cosmos from katamari but he's definitely chaotic (laughs) neutral This is a really good question. It's a little more difficult because characters (laughs) in video games tend to have to stand for something. They tend to have to have a a morality behind them. But I guess maybe going back to the idea of the player-created characters are a good example, if only because they're completely blank slates. It's a good way of looking at true neutral is 
they tend not to have extremely strong feelings about most things. They tend to be a little utilitarian, but they're not all the way. They are very, very flexible. They are not afraid of or hesitant to hurt others, but they don't seek it out and they don't take pleasure in it. Um, right. So that kind of middling flexibility is not something you see narratively very often unless you're doing an everyman type of character that is supposed to be essentially the player avatar. Right. And one thing you'll find, at least in our games, we never stay one alignment because people change, they adapt. They're, when you are forced to make certain decisions, like we had this one game where we all had to make um, moral decisions with each other. And some people and some of us made some really crazy decisions. <laughs> but there was one with me and the character Dylan where we had to make this decision. Do you sacrifice someone in your party who is not really needed or do you sacrifice yourself? And they they were stuck at a standstill. Because one person was, Dylan was like, let's sacrifice the nobody. We're more important. Whereas mine was like, she would sacrifice herself before sacrificing an innocent person. And that is, it's a really good illustration of the different types of characters. Because your character is ultimately very idealistic and very good natured and very good intended. She never, she never has ill will towards others, which is a great character trait. And it makes sense based on her background. But his perspective comes from he was raised politically. He was raised essentially as this exiled prince. So he has also been raised with the mentality of he is more important than other people because he's the leader. And sometimes the leader has to make difficult decisions and other people have to be the ones that suffer because he is the one who has to survive. And that's not a bad mentality. It's not selfish. Because in this particular setting, that's true. Our party has to survive to the end or the quest is, there is no more quest. Because it, they each very specifically have to get there. So I see the argument on both sides and it makes sense for your characters on both sides. But I wouldn't necessarily say either one of you were wrong. <laughs> right. It's like, that's what I love about at least the system we play and how we play it, that there's always uh, room to grow. You're not always stuck in one alignment forever. You're, you you can change, especially yeah. with your decisions. And I mean, that's an important thing to remember is that if you're playing a character that is growing and changing, uh, it's very likely that your alignment is going to change because mm -hmm. you are seeing the world and you're you know, making decisions and you're changing things about yourself and you're changing behaviors. And I think that most of our characters, but most of our characters, I think, have had alignment shifts throughout the course of the of the game. I think the sole exception to that is Rust, our kineticist. <laughs> he started lawful good. He's still lawful good. Doesn't mean he's nice all the time. He can be a sweetheart, but he is almost always, he'll do exactly what he needs to do. And he has good intentions and he will always help the people who need help and he has an extremely strict law code of laws that he abides by mm -hmm. and that has not changed and it will not change yeah which having such a diverse group i know this doesn't well this does go into combat you you will butt heads <laughs> you will whether it's off battle 
off battle or in battle. It's true. And that's another good point. And it's getting a little bit away from what I want to talk about. But just as a side note, combat is one of those cases where you have to see, you have to be able to interact with one another and communicate without doing a lot of talking. Because table talk, I allow it way more than most DMs do. I'm very generous with it, but even I will call it. But most DMs are very strict in that you technically only get the ability to say six words, I believe. It's six or eight words on your turn because technically your turn is seconds. Your your actual actions take place in almost no time at all. So you don't have time to plan to lay these intricate attack patterns out. You have to act very quickly. So you have to be able to communicate with your party through your actions and the understanding of to work as a team, you have to do these things. This is what everyone is expected to do. And we have had combats blow up in our faces when the party was not working together or they were making impulsive decisions. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> and I mean, that happens. And then sometimes when, I mean, sometimes when that happens, it's just, there's nothing really to do. You can't really, there's nothing really to salvage. <laughs> This is why it's always a shocker that we haven't just completely team wiped. We actually haven't. And that has always been a surprise to me that we haven't actually fully wiped. We've had divine intervention. That's why. Yeah, but we've never had divine intervention in a way that saved us from a party wipe. We've had divine intervention later res people. But <laughs> the party itself was never in danger of completely wiped. Well, okay, I won't say that. The party has been in danger of like, fully wiping, but they never. Okay, back to what we were talking. <laughs> back to kind of went off. <laughs> Shocker, we went off. Backtracking all the way back to types of damage, mental damage. This does not happen as often. Generally, you don't take mental damage, but occasionally, yes. And this is exactly what it sounds like. You are taking damage straight to your mind, and sometimes this will happen, and you'll get a will save beforehand and sometimes not it depends on the spell this comes up a lot more with a kind of niche rule set that is specialized that some dms don't use and some do that are psychic classes they were supplemental they were added into the game by a third party and i really want to i want to devote a whole episode to the psychic classes because they're very interesting and they're very unique but there are other spells that will do it to you as well and a mental damage is just as deadly as physical damage is moving on from that though Poison. Poison is usually specialized because poison generally does not do HP damage. It is tracked normally. If it does HP damage, it is tracked normally. More often than not, poison damages your abilities instead of your HP. And it can be relatively long-term. It can cause permanent damage. It can cause permanent ability damage, which it says permanent. Permanent damage can usually be healed, but it means that it's not healed short-term and it's not healed automatically. But yeah, poison damage is a specific type of damage and there are things that are immune to poisons. There are things that are especially susceptible to poisons. Oh yeah. Uh, we did say we were going to elaborate on the ability damage. And it, this is something because my characters apparently are the ones that are the most susceptible to this. I haven't seen anyone else get this. You, every point of ability damage you get, it will take an entire week for your character to heal up. And it has to be bed rest. Yeah, it is. It's a sliding scale depending on how much rest they get during the day versus whether they're being treated by someone or not. It, there's a lot of different factors into it. And it will heal slowly over time if you just leave it. But it does take a lot out of you. 
and it can negatively affect your ability to perform for a long time. Now, later as you level, there are different things you'll get like rejuvenation, spells of that nature that will cure ability damage, even permanent ability damage. And but it can still take you hit you for a loop, especially in the lower levels. Along alongside that, there's also negative levels, which is something else that along the same lines you can receive in the same way, which literally knocks you down a level. So you can go from being a level five to level four and you lose all of the things when you turn level five. You lose the HP, you lose any special abilities, you lose any new spells you got. It's as if you never became level five and you and you're stuck that way. And you're stuck that way until you either earn it back or you get magical intervention that cures your negative level. I've had that happen. I think once it happened to one of my characters and it um, did make divine intervention. It took divine intervention on your case. One time I think it was Rust, but somebody took so many negative levels that they had ended up losing like seven levels in one fight. And I think it was him. It uh, might have been him and he got him back. Well, he got him back. Yeah. Again, it was probably divine intervention, but yeah, no, he lost seven levels in one round or one fight. Got to the point where he couldn't hit anything because he had just taken so many negatives. And you gotta be careful of that. You gotta take care of your characters. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes that's just something you're gonna have to fight against. Let's see. Bleeding damage. This is very specialized and it's something that people sometimes get confused about. When you take bleeding damage, it continues to do additional damage. It's persistent. It will continue to drain your health for over a period of time, even if no further attacks are made. So it's kind of thematically like a poison, but essentially what it is is that you're bleeding and you're taking additional damage. Mm -hmm. Um, How long you're bleeding can vary somewhat. It depends on, you know, the attack and whether it came from a special ability or not. You can also be bleeding. You're also usually bleeding to death when you get knocked out, but before you die. But you can take bleed damage even when you're still on your feet and fighting. So it's really just a damage over time idea. Oh, yeah. Now, um, I don't think we've ever had to really deal with it, at least in recent games. No, we generally don't. There's not a lot of things we come up against that do bleed damage anymore, because at this point I'm throwing mostly giant monsters at you. <laughs> uh, but a lot of like stabby, fighty enemies have do bleed damage. A specialized type of damage that does not come up very often is precision damage. Essentially, this would be thematically it's similar to a critical, but it's not. This is something this is something that comes up a lot with classes like the rogue because they have what's called sneak attack, which uh-huh. is poorly named. Oh, okay. But the they do additional damage because essentially they are doing very precise damage. So rogues have sneak attack that adds additional damage to their attacks and that's precision damage so say the rogue hits they have their weapon does 1d6 and then they have precision damage on top of their d6 so it's just doing additional damage because you're extra precise but there are also a lot of enemies that are immune to precision damage because the whole idea behind precision damage is that it's extremely well placed so you're hitting an extremely vulnerable point So if you're dealing with something that, like an ooze or a strange anatomy, you can't do precision damage because you either, A, don't know if there's a a point that is extra weak or it doesn't have one. So that is a type of damage that's really cool to be able to do, but sometimes you just can't. Doesn't this go hand in hand with uh, flanking? It can. Uh, You can do precision damage for a number of reasons, but one of them is 
flanking. And this is one of those types of combat ideas that a little more complex, but the general idea between flanking is that there's you and there's an ally and somewhere between you is an enemy and that enemy is flanked mm-hmm. in very general terms. There's a couple specific things that you have that have to be true, but in general, that's the idea. And the mentality there is that the enemy is flanked. So therefore they can't pay full attention to both of you at the same time. So that means they are more vulnerable to getting hit. So if they are flanked, everybody gets a certain bonus to attack and certain attackers have the ability to do precision damage. It makes um, sense. The last type of damage I want to touch on is probably the most confusing type of damage that people hear about. It's called non-lethal damage. This is completely this is completely separate than other types of damage. Any t- every other type of damage is considered lethal damage. Non-lethal damage does not kill uh, the enemy except under very specific circumstances that are not important currently. Uh, <laughs> non-lethal damage is tracked completely differently uh it's tracked in a separate pile as lethal damage so the idea with non-lethal damage is that once they get below zero they get knocked out they're not in danger of dying they're just unconscious but they have to do enough non-lethal damage to get them below zero to knock them out so if you're combining you can't combine like a lethal arrow shot with a non-lethal club hit to say oh well they're unconscious and dying now that doesn't work. They're two completely separate things. But that's one of those things that people have such a hard time following because it's just not intuitive. Yeah, it's like you you can't mix them, but... Yeah, and I mean, you can be doing lethal damage and non-lethal damage to an enemy. Like, two different people. One's doing lethal right. damage, one's doing non-lethal damage. But they're not really, at that point, working together especially well because they're both trying to accomplish different things right so in that kind of situation be better that you do a bunch of non-lethal and then when they're unconscious then do your lethal yeah and i mean that's definitely a way to do it once the enemy's unconscious it's very easy to kill them there's a thing called coup de gras which it's a guaranteed critical hit and a bunch of extra damage and it almost certainly will kill them so i mean if that's your plan that's a good way to do it but on the same time, if you're trying to do non-lethal damage with a weapon that does lethal damage, you take negatives to it because you're trying to use it in a way it's not intended to be used, etc. Yeah, that can be a problem. Yeah, that's why if your goal, your goal is to do non-lethal damage, you're going to want to carry a weapon that does non-lethal damage, like a club. Something that's most bludgeoning weapons are non-lethal. Nothing sharp. Of, yeah, essentially, you don't want to make them bleed. <laughs> that should not be your goal. but yeah so those are the in general like a high overview of the different types of damage you can go a little bit further in with like resistances and things which we'll touch on eventually but the idea there being that there are different resistances to these different types of damage so that makes sense i think so so with all of that said how does ac come into play okay so i did say that when you make your attack there is something that determines whether you hit or not and that's what AC is. AC stands for armor class. Now, technically, all characters have three different types of armor class. And this can get a little bit confusing. And this is why I I have calculated y'all's for you on your sheet. Because <laughs> regular AC takes into account armor coming from a whole host of different sources. That comes from any armor that you're wearing. It comes from any shields you're carrying. Whatever the modifier from your dexterity is. And then different types of other armors, like natural armor, deflection, and then there's like a miscellaneous category that includes a bunch of random things. Now, 
all of that together added up becomes your armor class. So just focusing on the regular armor class for a moment, regular armor classes, which you'll use in almost all situations. So that is essentially how hard you are to hit. So what you do is you take the attack roll that, for instance, you made, we'll take that number and compare it to my class. Whichever number is bigger wins. So if you rolled a 32 and my armor class is 36, then you did not hit me. If the inverse is true, then you did, and that's when you would be able to do damage. Right. Now, the two other types of armor class are called flat-footed and touch. And the way to think of these is flat-footed means you have you are surprised, essentially. You do not have time to react. So the only parts of the only parts that you have of your armor class that count are your excuse me. It's things like your armor and your shield. You can't use your dexterity, though, because you have no dexterity. Your dexterity comes from the idea that you can try to dodge or you can try to move. So if you don't know that the attacker is coming or you cannot react, you don't get your dexterity. So that makes sense. Um, That's why flat-footed, essentially, that's what the idea is, that you're caught flat-footed, you're caught unawares. Flat-footed is primarily used in a surprise round of, of attack. Sometimes when you're beginning combat, there's a surprise round where one half of whether the enemy or you doesn't know the attack is about to happen, you essentially get the jump on them. Then that round, anybody who hasn't acted yet is considered flat-footed. Right. They can also become flat-footed in situations where maybe somebody is hidden or they sneak up on someone, things like that. So if you're catching someone unawares, you're using flat-footed. Touch. Okay. Can I uh, interrupt that one that thought real quick before we get into the touch attack? Yeah. If, say, somebody is preoccupied with, okay, say the enemy is preoccupied with uh, your teammates mm-hmm. and they don't see you, does that do flat-footed? Technically, it depends on the circumstances. If you are already formally part of the combat, no. But if, for instance, you are joining combat late and you have sneaked past the enemies and they don't see you, then yes you would do flat-footed. If you are already technically part of the combat, then you are already, they're already aware of you, if that makes sense. So technically, yes, there's also certain abilities that will let you attack versus flat-footed. But generally speaking, that um, if you're already part of the combat and everyone has already acted, you're not using flat-footed. Okay. Um, I was just curious. Because <laughs> we've no, had situations sense. like that. <laughs> yeah, and they're always, all of there will always be situations where flat-footed comes up that you may not expect it to. But in general, generally speaking, it doesn't come up in combat unless someone is completely unaware that their attacker is there. Now, touch. Touch is specific to certain types of attacks. Magic attacks use touch a lot, and certain types of fire, like firearms or bombs, use touch. Because the idea behind your touch AC is... No one's trying to, like, pierce your armor. They're just trying to touch you. So Mm -hmm. if they can get their hand on you, even if they can't bypass any armor you're wearing, that is a touch attack. So your armor doesn't count at all. But you still get your dexterity and you you get certain other modifiers because you can still try to, like, move. The idea behind it is you're still trying to move, but it doesn't matter if they can, like, bypass your armor. It doesn't matter if they can cut through it. So that's how that works there. And in general, the reason behind that is that, for instance, if you're trying to hit somebody with a spell, in general, it doesn't matter if you're bypassing their armor because you've still hit them with a fireball. 
So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if they're wearing leather armor, they still just got hit with a fireball. Same idea behind our alchemist uses a lot of bombs. That's their primary uh, weapon oh, is God. bombs. Now, the way bombs work is that they're considered splash weapons because I can hit you directly with a bomb or not, you're probably still going to take damage as long as it hits near you. So the idea there is that I don't have to bypass your armor because I just hit you with a bomb. It's essentially hitting you with a fireball, only it's a bomb. Right. Um, So it only really just has to connect with you. It doesn't have to like bypass your armor or do anything like that. You do use touch attacks a lot, especially with magic. Certain types of firearms are kineticist rust. He carries a firearm that you that is versus touch. It's very specific. He's paid a lot of money to be able to do that. Um, <laughs> he's also in weapon enchanter, and he has sunk a lot of money and time into being able to make these these weapon mods. But yeah, so that's the idea behind touch is that it's exactly what it sounds like. They just have to touch you to be successful versus a normal attack, which not only has to hit you, but it has to bypass the armor you're wearing. I have a question. Yes. It's on touch. What's the difference between a touch attack and a range touch? That is a good question. The principle is the same behind both of them. A touch attack is technically done at melee range, so usually within five feet. Some things have a longer range, but generally touch uh, melee would be in within five feet. And to visualize it, it would be they're touching you with their hand or sometimes their weapon, but it's normally their hand. That's normally what a touch attack is. A ranged touch attack is you're standing out of melee range and you're essentially trying to make a ranged attack. So a rain, normal ranged attack would be from like a bow. A ranged touch is probably throwing like a fireball. Let's be honest. It's probably throwing some kind of magic spell. So the idea is you're still just trying to touch them with it, but you're doing it from a range. So instead of visualizing your your hand, you're just visualizing you're touching them with a fireball. (laughs) Reach out and touch someone. Very gently reach out and touch them with a fireball. Oh my gosh. That isn't that when saving throws come into play? Not usually. That's one of those distinctions where most of the time, and there are exceptions because there's exceptions to everything when it comes to magic, magic is relatively complex. But generally speaking, if a spell is a ranged touch spell, then you just make a ranged attack versus their touch AC. And there's not usually a saving throw. There are exceptions, but there's not usually. Meanwhile, a spell that does not require an attack roll usually requires a saving throw. So essentially, in both cases, there's a chance the spell will not succeed. It's just whether you have to attack appropriately or they have to defend against it. Right. Because that's when the fort saves and... Yeah, that's when all of that would come into play. Okay. But yeah, you were... (laughs) Sorry, you were discussing touch attacks. I'm sorry, I have a habit of sending us off on tangents. (laughs) That's fine. I think that that covers the very basics of combat i think that yeah because i think pretty much anything else can wait for a future there are obviously more complex combat oh, issues gosh, that we'll there. touch on in the future and combat can get a little bit crazy but hopefully that is at least a good introduction and we haven't scared anybody off too bad oh yeah and we still have a lot coming we absolutely do um don't get discouraged and don't get scared combat oh, takes yeah. practice Oh god, does um, it ever. And it is trial and error. So if you don't know 100% what you're doing, that's fine. We're still learning certain aspects of combat as it gets more and more complex. So you will be learning it for a long time, but it's still fun. <laughs> yeah. I promise it's still fun. Oh yeah. So, 
Join us next time as we take a look at feet. For more of our series of Pathfinder Basics, be sure to check out the 13th Hour podcast on Spotify on anchor.fm forward slash 13th hour. That is 1-3-T-H-hour. New episodes go up every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.